welcome to Rewilding Love. This season is with a couple on the brink of divorce. This is episode number 43, an interview with Beck Steele. I can be happy at whatever my life circumstances are. The themes that really pop out for me are how we build up our expectations and this tendency to worry that they're not going to be fulfilled. Getting pregnant for me, so this is the blessing because I know a lot of women also suffer with the fact that they can't get pregnant. And I think that that is really everything that the rewilding is about is through embracing the fullness of life, the fullness of who we are. Yeah, I've had moments where I'm in the immediacy of life. When we look at the intellect, how we can dive into our intellectual processing and it does feel like a maze when we're caught up in that. And it's so courageous knowing that what you're up against and now you have two beautiful children as a result of that tenacity and that courage. It's realizing that all we have is, is now and from the now space there are possibilities. You are listening to Rewilding Love with me, Angus Ross and me, Rohini Ross. Rewilding Love is a podcast about relationships. We believe that love never disappears completely in relationships. It can always be rewilded. Relax and enjoy the show. We are really grateful to have Beck Steele as our guest today. And Bex is a rewilder guide and integrative coach. And Bex was part of the first group that went through the rewilder guide training with me last year. And we're just about to start our second training with the two of us together. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's exciting. And so Bex helps people who uh, experience anxiety, depression, uh, to have more freedom in their body, mind, and spirit. In addition to her coaching, she's also a registered nutritional therapist. And so she works with the body-mind connection and really helps people to come into the present moment and experience more deeply what is getting in the way of them feeling more of that personal peace and freedom using both nutrition and coaching. I like that more holistic approach to coaching. I'd like to have those strings to my bow well, anyway, so in today's episode, Bex is going to share with us her experience with loss and difficulties conceiving children due to a genetic condition that her husband has. Yes, it's a very um, brave, courageous um, act for her to come on to the podcast. She reached out uh, because she felt it would be important to share her story, but she also had fair amount of trepidation about talking about it. And so I really acknowledge her for her courage and strength of heart and willingness to be of service and sharing in this way. Yeah, and it really is a story of courage and resilience. Yeah. And in what's going to get revealed in the podcast, you'll hear how her journey really helped her to get a deeper understanding within herself and to see how thought plays a role in creating her experience. Seeing the role of thought was really impactful in helping her to not be dominated by her anxiety so that she could live life more in a state of peace, even when circumstances were challenging. And she really brings that depth of understanding into the work that she does now. 
when we do one of these interviews and you hear someone's story and someone's experience, you feel struck by the themes that are always so universal, even with a story in its individual content in terms of the experience that that individual has gone through. You you hear this story, you hear Beck's story, and you think, wow, this is such high stakes. And yet it's all the same themes. And I guess the themes that really pop out for me are um, how we build up our expectations. And then with those expectations comes this tendency to worry that they're not going to be fulfilled. And in that worry about them not being fulfilled, we go into the negative future fantasy. And that's where we would get caught up. So... What she went through is, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to go through that and, and, and a very high stakes game. But it's the same it's the same themes that you come up against again and again and again. And for the people that we've interviewed, very similar story and yet very unique and individual. Yeah, I agree that it's universal that when we become attached to expectations and then those expectations aren't met that we end up suffering. And that was one of the beautiful things that Beck shared and what she saw through this is that her peace of mind was actually not about her meeting her expectations, that that actually was something that resides within her and that she was able to see that and experience that and drop into that, even though she eventually did meet her expectations. But it was actually the surrender that happened beforehand that was uh, really powerful. Yeah, and with the benefit of hindsight, one might say to oneself, you know what, I kind of, I learnt all these things naturally through going through this experience. And, and, and probably we might say to ourselves, yeah, and I would, you know, now, with the benefit of hindsight, probably have suffered far less. But nevertheless, she got to a point where she could realise that, yeah, she should not trust her thinking in this situation. It's not going to be any kind of ally to me moving forward. I have to sort of, as much for as much as possible, live in the moment and and not give in to the fear that um, the 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 thinking around not fulfilling those expectations might be able to drum up. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you're saying, that's a good learning for all of us to pay attention to. Yeah, without doubt. One of the other themes that is universal that stood out to me was around how we can take a beautiful and profound spiritual understanding and then use it as a stick to beat ourselves up with. And I know I've done this. I'm sure plenty of people do it. But really, if we look to how sneaky our conditioning can be, how sneaky the ego is, it so easily co-ops these really beautiful ideas and then turns them as ways against ourselves, as ways to criticize ourselves. And I think that was something that Bex highlighted and something that's worthwhile for all of us to be mindful around, that anything that's truly spiritual is going to have a loving feeling. And so if we're judging ourselves for not being present or critical of ourselves because we've um, experienced an emotion that isn't what we think is spiritual, then that's not our spirituality. That's not our true nature talking to us. That's just our conditioning. 
And it's really helpful to be able to separate the two and make that distinction. Yeah. And, and judging ourselves for not being spiritual enough. It's, it's interesting to reflect on it in that way because with this, this feeling that um, we have some sort of insight that maybe in our minds puts us in a, in a loftier station in life on a spiritual level, then we can create a whole bunch of standards and expectations around that, that then we can have this checklist. It's like, are we ticking off the boxes? And if we're not, then somehow we're lacking or somehow we haven't learned enough. Um, and that's another way that we do and can beat ourselves up. And it's so egoic in its nature. Uh, and, and the better vantage point is just see it for what it is. It's just a whole bunch of thinking um, around those standards and expectations that just sets us up for, you know, for, for suffering ultimately. Yeah, our true nature is never going to be beating ourselves up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank goodness. And uh, the final theme that jumped out at me as well that's uh, on the more universal side is how, as humans, we can become fearful of our emotional experience and then try to control our emotional experience out of that fear and try not to feel it, use all kinds of distraction or um, intellectual ways to try and create a sense of separation from it. And really, the freedom of rewilding is to recognize the health in the entire range of the emotional experience. And simply being open to our emotional experience is healing. And it doesn't mean that we are going to act from those feeling states, but it is incredibly powerful to simply be able to be present to what arises within us on the thought and feeling level. And there's a natural stabilizing impact from that that is all we need yeah and and with emotions it's interesting to sort of observe them in a way where it's just a feedback system and and we have a tendency to sort of make all kinds of meaning or want to make all kinds of meaning to try and sort of analyze and figure out when all it's really doing is just suggesting that you know there's something up something in our system that's gone out of balance, it's out of whack, and just trust that our whole system, our, 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 the intelligence in the design, as it were, is set up to reestablish that equilibrium. It's kind of like with a microphone. Um, when you take a, a, a one microphone and put it too close to the speaker, it makes this sort of squealing sound. In a sense, it's like you can see emotions like that. I've got myself a little bit out of whack, a little bit out of balance. Um, and it's just a, it's a moment to sort of not to sort of feel like we have to do anything. It's just a moment to realize, you know what, there's something, there's something being suggested here to me uh, that, that uh, is giving me feedback that um, I'm moving away from where I need to be. And, and, there's a, and there's a trust in it that perhaps, you know, there's always a gravitational force always leading us back to balance and harmony. And I would take it even one step further and say that it's actually not out of balance that our emotional experience is actually never out of balance. It's always part of balance and that intense feelings are not something that are unhealthy or bad or wrong. They are part of how we maintain balance. Well, that's a much bigger and loftier point than I was making. <laughs> I guess that's why 
They pay you the big bucks. <laughs> well, anyway, before we head into this episode, I think it's important to let our listeners know that the subject matter does include discussion about abortion, both voluntary and medically recommended. And in light of the current challenges to Roe versus Way in the United States related to a woman's access to reproductive choice, we want to be clear that you and I are both pro-choice and we believe that a woman's reproductive choices are between her and her doctor and that it's not something that should be politicized or that the government should get involved with. Okay, well, without further ado, why don't we listen to what Bex has to say? Bex, thank you so much for offering to speak with us today. We're really thrilled to have you. And um, I was really moved when you reached out. And I know that this is a sensitive subject for you and um, something that is a stretch for you to share. So uh, we really acknowledge you for your courage and your willingness to be in service to others uh, in this way. Yeah, Bex, thank you so much for your willingness to... uh to be with us today and, and, and what you're going to share and what you're going to talk about. It's, um, it's a real honor and a privilege for us to, to have this experience. Well, I know it is for me, I'm sure for you too. Yes. So where would you like to start uh, in terms of your experience? Well, I reached out to you about this subject matter because I feel like it is a really um, important subject to talk about that lots of women don't really um talk about it's a very private thing to go through which is you know the loss of having babies and going through those fertility years and some people it's just a breeze and they manage to have children really easily and everything just slots into place and I always thought I'd be one of those people you know just click my fingers and it would all be okay and um and then there's a lot of people that don't talk about it at all. And there's a lot of suffering um, that goes through, uh, you know, through that period of time. And I think it just felt right at the time just to, to reach out to you and, and to bring up this um, subject in a more open forum. And to, I suppose, in hindsight, look at it through the eyes of um, rewilding and through principles and um and also touch on the knowledge I did have at the time, which um, I did have awareness of, of this um, understanding at the time. So I think that did really help me. Yeah, I think that's going to be really um, important to, to show and share how that was supportive for you during that time. And I think it's really uh, accurate what you're saying in terms of uh, oftentimes this is not discussed it's um there's a lot of shame that can be experienced around uh difficulties with fertility uh there can be a lot of grief that makes it difficult to share so i'm sure that you being willing to share experience is hopefully going to be able to support other women with being able to see how they can support themselves better and so would you like to just give us a little bit of context in terms of um how this unfolded for you yeah, so um, um, I just wanted to start with something um, a counsellor once said to me, which was um, at a very young age, a lot of women, not all women, because some women don't actually 
have any desire to have any children and that's totally fine and some people um will leave it and have children and then think actually no I'm an amazing mother and a lot of women do have a real deep-rooted desire at a very young age to have children and the counsellor said to me um you decide maybe when you're seven or eight what you want um your family to look like and um and I do remember having this picture at sort of that age thinking I'll have three children at the age of 26 and this is what my life's going to look like and obviously that was a childhood um dream (laughs) and things don't work out like that but I just thought that was quite interesting that that we do have a sort of set view of how things are going to look and when things don't match up to that that's where the suffering is Mm -hmm. um and you know we will have a picture and it might not be it might not involve children it might be um you know whatever the scenario is but we have a very set idea of what life could look like and yeah and when it doesn't look like that it can cause problems I think that's a good point because expectations in any area of life can create suffering when life doesn't meet them. That that gap between our expectation and what life gives us, uh, there can be a lot of suffering in there. Yeah, without doubt. You know, I think that we, we can formulate a very strong intention and then when that intention doesn't necessarily come to fruition, then it's very easy to beat ourselves up or or to feel like we're falling short or all of the above to be honest yeah absolutely and and I think that's where a lot of the suffering for me came in was it was like what age I should be um and what age gaps there should be between my children and all these things but I'll I'll obviously go into the story more but I think that's where a lot of the suffering came from but um so me and my husband um we married actually 13 years ago in this September and um and I had a very set idea in my head that I would be on the path to having children and and um and then his mum told us after we after we were married that um Ed's family carried sorry that's my husband's name said carried this genetic condition in the family and actually having children would be very difficult and the children would either be born um they'd have a, a week to live mm-hmm. um they'd have such severe difficulties you know with brain and heart and and it was called a translocation and it's where the chromosomes swap around and mm-hmm. um or that they wouldn't reach term the babies wouldn't reach term mm-hmm. um but just to backtrack a bit um which i feel is quite a significant part of the story um is that um I got pregnant when I was 29 before we were married and Ed's a few years younger than me and he wasn't ready to have a baby then Mm -hmm. but I was very ready and um so I was in a whole dilemma well of dilemma about what to do whether to keep the baby or not and I was it sort of goes to this people pleasing aspect that I have a very strong people pleasing side to me at the time um which was I want to make Ed happy um and he said go and speak to my mum and she'll be able to give you the advice that you need um because she's quite open-minded about these Mm -hmm. things anyway she didn't tell us at that point that we had this genetic thing in the family and she, she knew it at the time and um 
I opted to have a termination because I was going thinking about Ed's side mm-hmm. of the thing and I always regretted that mm-hmm. um, and there was a lot of anger for me towards um, my mother-in-law mm-hmm. at the time because I felt like it, it was my right to know at that point mm-hmm. and now looking back through forgive the eyes of forgiveness and everyone you know everyone's in their own psychological innocence I have to say it took a long time for me to get to that point um I realized that you know she just wanted us to make the decision based on our own decision right but I I still feel like and everyone in my life felt like that was the wrong thing to to do Mm -hmm. um so because of what eventually happened was that, that there was a lot of um, loss of, of babies <laughs> along the way. Mm. Yeah. When you're talking about that, I can I can kind of see the emotions coming up. It's it still seems like there's um, a lot of feeling there. So I'm just wondering um, what was helpful in terms of you coming to making peace with um, you know you having that making a choice from people pleasing your mother-in-law, not sharing that information. I don't know if there were any um, feelings of resentment toward Ed as a result of him not wanting to have a baby at that time. So it just seems like there's an awful lot there. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think so. What's interesting around that time, again, this people pleasing aspect of my personality was to never cause a fuss or to take on board and but not hurt anyone else's feelings so um I think at the time I should have said actually you could have told me at that moment in time that we had carried this thing and I think mm. if I just let it out and and actually said how angry I was that would have saved me a lot of years mm-hmm. <laughs> of resentment building up because every baby that I lost the more and more resentment I built up mm-hmm. So um, I think for me at the time, if I just stood up in my space, which the whole rewilding thing is about, is we're allowed to express our anger. Yes. <laughs> and and actually, and it's not to say that she um, was doing it to hurt us or anything like that. But, it, you know, at the point, that point of time, I, I should have expressed that actually I, I'm quite angry and I felt really hurt and betrayed at that point from a woman mm-hmm. to woman perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think what eventually, I think well, one time is, is a healer and two, knowing the principles and the understanding and just seeing that, you know, we're all operating from the level of consciousness that we're aware of at the time. There was so much hurt and pain on her side because she'd experienced quite a lot of loss herself. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, the main reason she didn't tell us is that she thought if if Ed hadn't if Ed had known this before, then the person he married wouldn't have um, fallen in love with him or would 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 have wanted to mm. to leave him. Mm. So she was very much protecting her children, mm. and I felt that that actually wasn't really protecting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and responsibility very much lies with the women in this situation so mm-hmm. all the responsibility was was on on me to kind of go off and investigate what what this 
um, genetic problem was and all the options available to us and whether we did IVF or um, all these different things available. So um, I did feel like there was a lot of responsibility on, on my part. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like she was concerned that you wouldn't stay with Ed before you got married. And, and so she chose to tell the two of you. So Ed didn't know about this either, is what I'm hearing. No, yeah. no. And his sister, again, we were all told at the same time. So, mm. um, yeah, so it was a bit of a shock for everyone. Yeah. Can I, can I just ask with, the, with this first pregnancy, um, w- w- I mean, I guess you don't know, but was 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 it uh, was the baby or or the fetus was it healthy? I mean, was it going to be subject to the same conditions that? that, that yeah, it might... would have been. It would have been. We didn't yeah. know didn't either know, way, yeah. so I would never know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the unknown. And so, once you were told this information, then how did all of that unfold? Well. Again, like I said, I think a lot of the responsibility was on me um, being the woman because there's that ticking clock. When I was 30, it's like, oh, I need to have a baby, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and now looking back, I know that there's, there is plenty of time at that time. So, um, But at the time, it felt like I've got this urgency to, to, to get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went and spoke to the geneticist at the hospital and got all the details and um, looked into whether IVF would be an option because you can do this pre-genetic testing with IVF so you can test all the eggs to see if they've got carry a genetic problem mm-hmm. um, um, but yeah we we got pregnant um, so getting pregnant for me so this is the blessing because um, I know a lot of women also suffer with the fact that they can't get pregnant and men obviously um, so the pregnant getting pregnant side was the easy bit that wasn't a problem it's just um I had to wait um four months for an amniocentesis mm-hmm. um and that's where they put a big needle in through your tummy and they get the um amniotic fluid um to test the chromosomes mm-hmm. and it's a procedure that you have to do later on mm-hmm. so there was always these big waiting times um until we knew what what the outcome of if the baby was okay or not mm-hmm. um, and so the first pregnancy I had was for uh, nearly five months because they messed up the, <laughs> they messed up the amniocentesis mm. and then I had to go and get it redone um and we found out that it carried a very severe translocation mm-hmm. and um so yeah I I had to go through um, the birth of the baby and it was a tra- very very traumatic um, mm-hmm. experience mm. uh, but in my mind I knew I was doing the right thing for the help the baby mm-hmm. and for for us you know mm-hmm. um, like I said it would have the babies would have died within a week mm-hmm. of being born so at that point, once you did get the amniocentesis correct results, and at that point the pregnancy was terminated because of the the results to you know avoid greater suffering for the baby, and also um, it was your health ever at risk as a result of this situation? 
no my health wasn't at risk but lots of things did come out of this like Mm -hmm. um, issues with um my health afterwards Mm -hmm. Um, more of the stress of it really yeah yeah and so you said that that situation was very traumatic how did you cope afterwards um it was very traumatic um because it was the it was yeah it was a, a process of giving birth um mm-hmm. which was a traumatic experience and also in tandem Ed's sister was also going through all this stuff at the same time so we'd go through our grief and a month mm-hmm. later something the same thing happened to her mm-hmm. um so it felt like and obviously Ed's mum was very um, traumatised by what her daughter was going through. And so it never felt like (laughs) we were able to experience um, the grief in in many ways. But at the time, I did know this understanding. It wasn't the three principles, but that we are not a victim of our lives. Mm. And um, bad things happen to us, but we are not victim of it. And that did I never felt a victim in this situation um which I think I could have done without the understanding Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I knew I knew that um I mean I did felt anger Mm -hmm. and frustration but I never felt like oh poor poor me why am I going through this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I might have done at times but (laughs) And how did you see it then? If it if you weren't seeing it that way, how did you see yourself as you navigated this? I saw it as this is life, and this is what people go through. And some mm-hmm. people have it a lot worse, and and I could be not getting pregnant, and you know, I I, I saw it as yeah, part of what we go through, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I think that the thing that's that troubled me the most was all the anger I was carrying. Mm-hmm. And at the time, were you aware that you were not expressing yourself? Or I'm just curious um, how that was impacting you. I no, I don't think so. I think I couldn't expect my my emotions I couldn't express my emotions very well mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. and so I bottled it up and I was angry towards Ed's mum but I never said anything just resolve you know I want to have a baby I'm going to have a baby and this is just how it is how it's going to be for me we have to go through this process of getting pregnant and then in four months time we'll we'll get to you know figure out if it's if it's going to be healthy or not did you just just press on I mean that that that, I mean it must be so hard to do that I got pregnant again very quickly afterwards and um so then it was a very another four month wait so you can imagine it was eight, pretty much eight months of just this 
and I think limbo is the worst place to be. Mm. <laughs> this not knowing what the outcome is going to be. And I, and I tried very hard to be present with the experience, but no, <laughs> it was, um, there's a lot of suffering in not knowing which way things are going to pan out because um, I think it's about um, being attached to the outcome and not allowing yourself to feel too much um, because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And and I know a lot of women have to wait three months anyway um, until you really know, but I think you do attach to the idea. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I really shut down emotionally toward I became um I shut down emotionally to the whole experience and to the babies that mm-hmm. I was carrying um because I couldn't let myself feel mm. but obviously I know that that's got to come out at some stage and that it's all there um yeah. and yeah I think there was it was a by the second pregnancy and so eight months on it was I was pretty traumatized by this waiting and not knowing the outcome mm-hmm. um and then Ella we had Ella who's now 11 and she has got the all clear she doesn't even carry the genetic mm-hmm. and um yeah and so that was amazing but then there was a drive to have a second child in me yeah so I think for me it was it was like I really appreciate where I'm at having one child was amazing um and compared to a sister who wasn't able to have any at this stage Mm. um, we felt completely lucky and overjoyed Mm -hmm. but I think two or three years down the line that urge starts coming back again (laughs) it's just a biological urge (laughs) and so what was that journey like in terms of then wanting to try for your second child well um so having these two pregnancies very close together and back to back um I got um issues with my thyroid I got Graves disease which is like overactive thyroid mm-hmm. and they said you can't try for another year because that you've got to go on this really strong medication you can't um mm-hmm. I think my body was just kind of depleted from having these two pregnancies and then um so I had to wait a bit longer and yeah so this same thing came up again for each time I tried so there was this long wait and then a negative outcome and it happened three three more times three more times yeah my goodness and we had a round of IVF as well mm-hmm. um but there was a long period that's what there's a seven-year age gap between Max and Ella mm-hmm. and um so there was a long time where it was like I'm not going to go there anymore mm-hmm. I can't do it and then it yeah. was like no but that I never felt complete with one child but now I realize that was all 
thought. <laughs> but it it did feel like a very strong feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that realization, seeing it as thought, does that shift anything in any way for you? Yes, because the space I'm in now... I mean, it's difficult for me to to sort of rationalise it because obviously now I've got two children. But I had come to a place um, just before I got pregnant. I thought, I'll try it one more time and that'll be it. Because mm-hmm. um, we'd done the IVF and then we had six um, embryos and all of them carried this genetic problem. Mm-hmm. And Ed has was always happy with one so he kind of stopped at one and was like so it always felt like it was me that was was pushing for more and um also I looked into adoption um and all these things and he it felt like I was carrying this dead weight with me he didn't want to he just Mm. didn't want to do it um because he's like we're we're so lucky we are so lucky and we were so lucky yeah um but it also felt like it, I wasn't complete. And I can't remember what your question was. Well, at the time, what I hear is that you didn't realize that not feeling complete wasn't really true. It was a real experience, but it was based on your thinking. You didn't see that at that point. No, I, I, I saw it as a very strong feeling mm-hmm. that I needed to have more children but then I did come to a place where I was okay and happy and that's when we got another baby (laughs) isn't that so often how that happens when we let go and surrender life I did let go and surrender yeah and and I think what what really is the kind of the message is that you know I spent a lot of time thinking into in in the future what is my life going to look like? A, almost a decade of my life was, what's my like life going to look like um, if I have a child when Ella's four or five or six? Or what's the age gap going to be? Or how old am I going to be? And is that too old? Is it too mm-hmm. you know? Is it too late for me? Is it so much um, of my life was consumed by this? And I know that it's the same for so many women. Mm-hmm. that um it just takes over it's your everything and from the ex you know from the outside people can say oh well you're you're so lucky you've got one and 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 be happy with where you're at um but I can only look back on that now and and see that of course I can be happy at whatever my life circumstances are mm-hmm. and I'm seeing that so much more deeper than mm-hmm. I could see it at the time even though I did have the understanding it, I just didn't see it as deeply yeah yeah it sounds like there's just a very human capacity to get very attached to outcome and very attached to life needing to be a certain way like you were saying it the age of seven or eight, you'd already decided in your mind what you thought your family was going to look like. And then when life didn't meet you in the way that you had envisioned it, it sounded like that um, had a lot of meaning for you and that meaning was painful. 
and you were doing your absolute best at the time to navigate all of that. But in the misunderstanding of what was needed for your happiness, it sounds like there was a lot of suffering and a lot of drive to to push yourself and to have the challenge in terms of not being on the same page as Ed. Just a lot came up as a result of that. But what I'm also hearing now is that you're seeing the peace that's available in the present moment that you weren't able to see then and living more in that at this point in time. Yes, I think so. And I feel like I lost, I got very serious about life during that stage. It was like, I would restrict my diet and, um, cause I'm, you know, I study nutrition and, so it was like, oh, I've got to be super healthy. Not that it would have made any difference because it was a sort of quantity that was out of our control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got very restrictive with about Ed and his lifestyle. And, but he wasn't, we have to look back, he wasn't very supportive. And some of his actions at the time were, he was supportive emotionally, but some of his actions were not mm-hmm. great. Um and life just got super serious. Yeah. And um, and I feel like I look back on my 30s and think, wow, I wasn't living my life. And I kept having, because I knew you've got to live in the moment and you've got to savor everything. And I knew all the understanding. Um, and I was trying to do that, uh, but it 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 wasn't happening like that. And and then also that's how life is, isn't it? It's all like a big learning curve and and um, we can look back and go, oh, wow. I, was, I could only see it the way I could see it at the time. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is an important point that a lot of people can come up against. I know that I have myself is where we have an intellectual understanding of, you know, spiritual truths and yet it's an intellectual understanding, so it really doesn't do much for us. And we can then judge ourselves as a result of that and really be hard on ourselves that, oh, I'm not, I should be living in the moment. I'm not living in the moment. I'm attached to outcome. I shouldn't be attached to outcome. Like we can really uh, be very unloving with, with an understanding that is meant to be very loving. And so I hear that you kind of got tangled up in that in the way that I would have done as well. Yeah, yeah, it was very much an intellectual understanding at the time. And I do remember a couple that I used to, uh, again, similar understanding, and they talk about being in the moment. And I remember them saying to me that, you know, these things will become a series of facts, facts that have happened to you. um, uh, When you look back on 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 the situation. And it's so true that when we look back it's like in the at the time it's like our everything and we could like Angus is always saying about our virtual reality goggles you know we can only see the world through that lens Mm -hmm. and I could only see the world through I want another baby and it's challenging and it's taking over my life but obviously carrying on my life and achieving things at the same time but um it's now I can look back and go actually yeah it, it it was just some events that happened to me but there was so much emotion involved in that 
how did the rewilding um, impact you sort of coming into this understanding in the way that Angus and I are talking about it? What was the impact and how was that helpful? Well, I think for me, um, well, I did the, your training, rewilding training as well, which was just amazing. And it was it was about embracing all of our experience and all of our emotions. And um, and actually some of, through the training, some, some of this emotion did come up um, around this experience. And that there, I think it's really fascinating that when we relax around a situation and, you know, like I said, I, I was very angry towards Ed's mum, but I, I let go of that. Um, quite a few years ago actually probably at the start of the rewilding journey Mm -hmm. um whenever you did your training um and uh yeah and when we let go of the anger and and because you know if we're holding a grudge or holding resentment it's so tight Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and that's when more emotion has been able to come up for me around around this um and for me it was it's all about um seeing very deeply into our human experience and how we it's never that suffering isn't there but it's when we're trying to control our experience or control our suffering or manage it or think it should be another way that's when we're stuck and I could see I was very stuck for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's making me think. We watched um, the a documentary yesterday with um, Annie Lamott, who's a writer, and she was talking about grief and the way that she was sharing what she'd written about grief. She talked about how when we're, and I might not be quoting this exactly, but as I remember it, it was how we can be fully open to the experience of grief and that doesn't mean that we won't have a scar from the grief but that it will heal cleanly and there's something about being open to experience in the way that you're talking about it not trying to manage our experience not trying to control our experience but simply being open and allowing it to unfold that allows the healing to happen more gracefully and also I think allows us to see whatever there is to see from that experience that allows our understanding to deepen. I was just thinking that too. <clears throat> I was trying to figure out how it relates. It occurred to me you know, the, the, the scar tissue heals in a much more clean way, the more willing we are to feel the emotional experience that we're going through at the time. I'm so I'm so st- struck by your so- story. Did you have something to respond to that? Oh, I was going to say was that I, I see that I was also trying to, like you were saying, controlling my experience, living in the moment, doing it all intellectually and also um saying to myself the whole time well you're lucky you're lucky you've got another you've got another child and Ed's sister she can't get to that stage and so you're the lucky one so it was like this berating of myself the whole time Mm -hmm. rather than allowing the grief and because my experience was my experience and it it was a hard experience to go through but I wasn't allowing myself to feel that yeah, I mean, it's such an extraordinary story. Uh, and for me, you know, we, we can start to sort of, you know, 
sort of analyze all the ways that we might have done a better job and it's all thought and all the rest of it. But for me, it's just an incredible story of, of courage and tenacity. You know, so much about what we talk about rewilding and life being able to find a way the intelligence in life will prevail if only we let it. It's kind of like you had this very strong intention and, and fantastic that we have that intellectual machinery to sort of create a strong intention. But you were determined to have children and there's a, there's a whole sort of um, dance that you do with your own biology. The biological, you know, the biology is, is wanting us to procreate. So you marry that with intention, that's a pretty formidable force. Um, and, and, you know, you prevailed. I mean, it's so courageous knowing that what you're up against to still want to aid and, aid and abet that process of life, finding a way. And now you have two beautiful children as a result of that tenacity and that courage. And, I, you know, it's just such an inspiring story. And, and I think that, you know, there's a sort of tendency for me to sort of like, you know, what is the spiritual lesson here? And I still don't even know, you know, what that means. But in a, in a sense, it's like just as a, as, a, as a story of human endeavor, what incredible courage and tenacity. It's really inspiring. And it's like if you can get through that, you can get through anything. You could do anything with your life because the determination in the face of what looks like such an incredible um, obstacle to get through to have to know that, you know, you have to wait four months and you've got to somehow detach yourself from your biology because the biology is probably insisting that you have this sort of very maternal outlook about this fetus that's growing inside of you. So sort of to not be able to sort of, you know, to try and remove yourself in that way. It's like, I don't know, it's just amazing to me. And, and I just feel kind of really, I don't know, I feel kind of honored to know you, to know someone that's kind of pushed themselves through such such an incredible struggle and prevailed and in in kind of in tandem with that intelligence behind life you've you, you've brought two beings into this world uh and and had to face huge challenge oh thank you angus and i've always felt like i think that was it it's like you always know someone that's worse off than you don't you you always know someone that's been through way worse and you know, women have to face stillbirth. I was saved. I mean, it was a process of, of that in a way. Um, women have to go through so much struggle to get to get to the babies that they want. Or um, And, I mean, heaven forbid if you live somewhere like Afghanistan, what that's like, um, that's a whole... Yeah, so it is, it, it's a very emotive um, thing to yeah subject really and it's I think that's the the key is like if if you, we can be more open about it and women can can talk about their experience more I think it is it is really important yeah I think it's so so important and it's it's so easy to feel like yeah this is a subject that I can't talk about publicly and so many people are probably having similar experiences um which is so helpful to know that you know someone is willing to sort of wear their heart on their sleeve and, and share their story and just for the most part in terms of how we struggle in life it's usually the fact that we have to keep these secrets and, and suffer in silence and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the most healthy approach to live our lives it's not well I think it's a loss of a future like so if we all have an idea don't we of when we get pregnant we're going to carry the baby and this is our future and this is what it's going to look like 
And so every time a woman loses that, it's like starting all over again. And that that future that they had is gone in a flash, you know, in a moment. Mm-hmm. And so I think what women go through if they're having multiple miscarriages or, or terminations, or whatever they're facing, or not being able to get pregnant, um, it's like this is this is what I expect, and this, and and this is what my future is going to look like, and then it's taken away. Um, but and and some women never have that opportunity, and and um, but I think the whole the whole thinking part is so massive once we know this understanding you know when we're truly truly okay in ourselves and in the moment then everything is okay whatever path our life takes mm-hmm. um, but it takes a lot to, to to really get that and and it and it doesn't take away from from the loss and the grief that people are going through mm-hmm. yeah I think that um parallel is so profound because it's not by we know it wasn't through you berating yourself telling yourself you should be grateful for what you have that wasn't helpful in terms of your healing it was painful and it exacerbated an already painful situation and so what I hear is in your experience through embracing the validity of your feelings and being with them and allowing them to to be what they were that actually was what helped you to experience not in an intellectual way but in a experiential knowing way that true okayness that exists within it's through going through the human experience and being open to the human experience that you saw something more deeply true about your true nature that is unchanging and I think that that is really everything that the rewilding is about is through embracing the fullness of life, the fullness of who we are, and being open to that, and being with our humanity, understanding that that's part of the learning and growth, part of the learning curve, and then um, seeing where it takes us, just as you had to do that. And, and as you said, many women struggle in the area of fertility. Some women are never able to conceive, even with all of the science and the technology that is available um, to us. And and so it's, it's really important to have space for all that that reveals to us about ourselves and about our humanity and about the truth of who we are. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that we... Yeah, we can get so stuck in controlling our lives, wanting it to be a certain way. And um, I've seen more more deeply recently that, um, and I think you wrote a blog post about this recently, Rahini, about controlling our spiritual mm-hmm. experience. And I could really see that I I do that a lot. Like, am I in the moment? Am I mm-hmm. living my life? I should be in a perfect spiritual way (laughs) and um, kind of bashing myself over the head the whole time with it and it's like and then so I'm going to think I'm very silly for doing this but I 
I said to myself, show me more around thought, show me more about what I need to see around thought. And this answer came back to me, which was, um, you, you're still very invested in your thinking and you still think that that is you. So I, it, it kind of blew my mind apart a bit because I was just like, oh yeah, I just saw it a bit deeper that, yeah, I've had moments where I'm, um, lots of lots of wonderful you know moments of being in the moment and and um living my life in in the in the immediacy of life mm-hmm. but it was like it was just a deepening of of oh yeah but that really isn't me I, I really don't have to believe it mm. and yes it's going to come and it's going to go and it's going to come and it's going to go and it's going to go like that forever but when I'm in that constricted place, it doesn't feel good. And, you know, even though I'm nervous now, I can feel myself still a bit nervous. But, um, yeah, I don't have to be in my head about everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just, if, if you can just get that on, on any level, it, it is an amazing thing to experience for people going through whatever they might be going through. I think it's, I mean, it's a journey for us all in terms of how we can get caught up in thought you know as you were talking I was reflecting on how you know how we can get so caught up in expectation and obviously the expectations to have a child I mean that's 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 pretty high stakes and for all that you have to go through and and it feels like for me the journey a big part of the journey and maybe for everybody the the big part of the journey around thought is is how I can have expectations and then there's this sort of fear that may develop that they may not be fulfilled. And then I get into this whole sort of negative future fantasy. I go into this sort of have a field day around how my expectations are not going to be f- f- fulfilled and what that looks like. And I can waste so much time there. And, and it's all a reflection, I'm sure, of my state of mind. You know, I get into a low mood and decide, yeah, I'm going to play that movie. Oh, I'm going to, it's like, you know, I have a taste for horror movies or whatever it is. I remember someone once saying to me, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're going to dream, um, you know, why, why fail in your own fantasy? You know, you know think about, you know, how it might, <laughs> it might all work out happily. But there's, there's always been this compulsion for me just to sort of like in the past to really sort of get invested in, in thinking, well, how can this go horribly wrong? And so in some way that I'm going to be ready for it. I don't know. And I, and I feel like that there's such... There's so much time spent there that's so wasteful and unproductive. Um, and that for me is just, that's, that's just something that, you know, hopefully I, I, I deepen into and see more and, get, and catch myself when there is that inclination to go there. Yeah, and, and then that's what I think. I think, oh my gosh, how much of my life have I wasted <laughs> yeah. in thinking about it all and, and, and um, the drama and the and the outcomes and the expectations and, 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 you know, I'm sure I'm going to do it a lot more, but it's just, um, 
it's realizing that all we have is is now and from the now space there are possibilities and when you're in your head very limited possibilities yeah and I think um that's what you know I wish I'd known more about at the time but I could only know what I know Mm -hmm. and and I think that um yeah I think the the biggest thing for me at the moment is is looking at attachment attachment to like you were saying attachment to outcomes attachments in all areas of life and how strong those attachments are and there is that attachment obviously to being a mother and to being a career person and a, and uh, a good friend or whatever a good wife and there's all these attachments to our roles and um, to outcomes and I do think I think I'm just trying to see a bit more around that and and um, I think there's a lot to see. <laughs> yeah, no doubt <laughs> for all you of know, us. You know, and me too. It, it and it makes me. Uh, I think I've used I have used this metaphor before, but even now I feel like I'm seeing it in a deeper way. It's like you know you have those GPS apps that you know it always it's always remarkable to me. There've been a couple of times when I've had to drive home from the airport. And there's obviously there's the sort of like the the as the crow flies route that's pretty straightforward, and then there are times when you just have to trust the information that's coming through real time that can take you most take you on the most circuitous and most elaborately all the back doubles, but it gets you home. And it's kind of like that intelligence is always trying to look for the you know the intelligence behind life, our essential intuitive nature is always looking for the most optimal way to find balance and harmony it's always looking for the the, you know the the best way the best route and the only way that I really kind of ignore that is like if I just get into my head and just try to imagine is like how this is going to take me way off track and then I'll be lost we don't want to get lost and yet you know that intelligence is always looking to find a way And, and I think that for me is what's at the heart of rewilding I love that yeah definitely I think that's the biggest message from the rewilding and also that when we really listen the answers are to- they are there within us mm-hmm. um and when we're in our heads uh we're just stuck we're just stuck in more thinking and finding a way out from that is 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 a maze and it will take many years <laughs> <laughs> Or not? I think yeah. I was in that maze for many years. Like, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, and and then again in that maze for many years, you still prevailed. You know, you still had the courage and the tenacity to sort of like, you know, stick to your guns. Yeah. You got there. For me, it was like I cannot be an older mother. Yeah. So I had Max when I was thirty-eight, and I felt like that was way too old because mm-hmm. I started children at having children at 30 and that was like no 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 that's too old and yeah. um now I now I'm you know considered probably an older mum in in many ways I'm 42 and it's it's like why did I waste all that time worrying about my age <laughs> I actually feel younger now than I did when that's I was right. 35 <laughs> yeah and it, it's funny we just we get caught up in the meaning that we make up and it's not truth but it's just meaning that we make up and then we as that meaning shifts we see like oh that was made up because I just shifted that meaning um so it's we just see the subjective nature of it all and I love that metaphor that you used of a maze and I think we when we look at the intellect how we can 
dive into our intellectual processing. And it does feel like a maze when we're caught up in that. And often when we're in a maze, we just get more and more feelings of urgency about how to get out of the maze. And so we run around the maze of our thinking. But really, the only way out is to lift up and see the maze for what it is. There's no escape of the maze. There's just simply that shift in perspective. And as soon as we see that's what we're doing, then we naturally relax. We naturally um, find ourselves in a more expanded way of thinking. And I think that's something that's also really helpful for people to recognize that the shift in perspective is effortless. It doesn't, it's not something we can do. It's actually in the not doing and the relaxing into what is that it naturally comes into our awareness. The maze is the illusion. Yes. Yeah, yeah the, the maze melts away. Yeah, and, and that's it. I think that's what I'm trusting more and more is that there is nothing to do. Yeah. That is so com- com- confusing to the brain. <laughs> Because <laughs> the brain loves the maze. The part of the brain loves the maze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um and also trusting and and also asking questions for me has been really big for me. It's like, what do I need to see? Mm-hmm. So you're saying like inwardly reflecting and asking those questions and listening. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's only been recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a excellent practice that helps us really see that when we listen and reflect in that way, our own knowing bubbles up. That deeper knowing within us has the opportunity to reveal something to us. Or, or a universal knowing. Yes, impersonal knowing. Exactly, yeah. So, so, so in a sense, when we come together with other, other people, uh, there's, there's a heightened opportunity to drop into into wisdom on yeah. that level yeah. in the group experience yeah. but we can also do that alone too yeah. it's like we can do it both ways yeah. so bex this is a a really inspiring story in terms of your own learning along the way not just that you were able to um, have two children even with all of the challenging circumstances but also the unfolding of your own awakening about your inner peace, about your well-being, independent of those circumstances. I think that is the the clear message that you're sharing with us is how that's available and how you see the shifts that you've made over time from being more caught up to less caught up. And, and that's ongoing and it's infinite and there's always more to see in that direction. Is there anything else that you haven't shared with us that you'd like to share with us today? Um, I think there's... Yeah, I think I was invested in being tough and getting through it. And now I now now know through the rewilding that actually, um, you know, that that just prevents and prolongs the suffering. And but maybe that's all I could do at that time. That's the way I, you know, I mean, it was all I could do at that time. But maybe that's how I could only get through it that way. Um, and I think also that if you are struggling with this situation um, or a similar situation that you know I suppose it's about getting quiet and 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 out out of the story of it and knowing that things 
will work out in the end. Mm-hmm. That there's that unfolding of what is that's going to be what is no matter what, whether we're stressing about it or not, that unfolding is still going to be um, showing up. And that is so much wasted time by being in our heads about things. There's no two ways about it. You are tough, you know, to go through that experience. <laughs> Women are tough. Yeah, well, yes, you are. <laughs> and I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, for all that you've been through, your wisdom showed up and got you through that experience. And part of that is your, your tenacity and toughness. Um, and then the question is, you know, you can start to see with the benefit of hindsight now is, that you know, that there were long periods where you probably suffered un- unnecessarily by getting lost in, in your analytical thinking. And, and, and now that's something that, you know, you can you can share with other people and that, that's going to be of value. Yeah. But you're still incredibly tough. You know, don't ever take that away from yourself. It's like, that's not a bad thing. No, and I, but I, what, I hear what you're saying though, Bex, in terms of there's that facade of toughness, the mask of toughness that we can put on that is really just hiding the fear and the vulnerability and that, yes, absolutely, you have that inner strength and that, um, as Angus is saying, that incredible resilience. And what I'm hearing is you're seeing for yourself that you're also able to be vulnerable and experience the weakness and experience all of those other feelings that you didn't think you were able to have room for um, previously because that would have derailed you. And, and that's really what we're embracing. And the rewilding is making room for the entire range of human experience within ourselves and, and feeling the richness that that gives us, not because we're wallowing in it, but because there's a intelligence within that. And that absolutely you did your best and that the way you went through that was the best way that you could cope at that time. And then now you have a new level of understanding that has you see it differently and has you live life differently now where you're at. Yeah. And I think the people pleasing aspect of my personality was so strong then. And it was, um, Although I did hear Mavis say, Mavis Khan say that it's not actually an aspect of your personality, it's just a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the it's the um, the drive to sort of please everyone else around me and show that I'm okay and, and you know, I'll com- I won't show my emotions because I'll upset you or I'll upset you and, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got to keep it together the whole time. But actually all that does is just hurt the person, hurt. Mm-hmm. it hurt myself yeah yeah so that conditioning was really strong and now you're experiencing more freedom from that and by the way I think I think personality in its entirety is just habit of thought so we can just throw it all into the thought container wow that's just kind of blazing the way a bit because <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all malleable really when it comes right down to it Again, we really appreciate your courage. We appreciate you um, being willing to be in your nervousness and still share and listening to that deeper part of yourself that you knew that you wanted to do this, even though there's some um, noise in your head about what does that mean? So thank you so much for being willing. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, my goodness, what a story and, and what a thing to share that's going to be of such value to so many people without question in my mind. Well, and I want to say thank you to you guys. Actually, no, 
<laughs> to Angus Rahini. Um, I, <laughs> I appreciate you so much. And the rewilding community has just, I mean, what I've got from that has been amazing. And the training. And I cannot even say what's really happened to me in the last year because it's just unfolding the whole time. And, and there's such a lovely... Um, supportive community um, that you've created and it's pretty special we feel really blessed that you're a part of it so thank you yeah thank you yeah we we're so grateful for you your participation and and also grateful ourselves for the community because we feel like we just get just as much support through um holding that space as i think the participants do so it's really beautiful yeah And Beck sent some final notes that she wanted to have included in this episode. Yeah, Ed's sister, thankfully, was finally able to have twins. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And uh, Bex wanted to make it clear that the babies that were terminated when she was married were incompatible with life, and that is why the medical advice was to terminate those pregnancies. And that also as a result of the health challenges that she experienced, that was what had her look into nutritional therapy and eventually become a registered uh, nutritional therapist. I don't know if it's, um, it's, it's pertinent for me to say or even appropriate for me to say here that there is a silver lining, but there is a, it's very much a silver lining. And, uh, and, and Bex is a, is a wonderful human being doing wonderful work in the world. And this journey that she's been on, which has involved a lot of suffering, is now bringing a lot of good to the world. Yeah, and it really allows her to be of service in a beautiful way. Thank you so much for listening to Rewilding Love. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by subscribing on iTunes. And we would love for you to leave a review there iTunes reviews will steer people to this podcast who need help with their relationships. If you would like to learn more about our work and our online rewilding community, please visit our website, therewilders.org. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.